Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Subchakchai Bankard, and I'm here with all the lonely people. They are no strangers to me, though. This is my lame joke on this movie. <laughs> uh, first, he'll keep the vampires from your door. It's P.T. McNiff. How's it going, P.T.? So I went to look up quotes from this movie to respond to you at this point, And every quote I was thinking of doing almost made me cry. And I was like, I don't think that I can actually oh. deliver it. So that's my setup for how I'm going to feel about this movie. Okay. Uh, and I'll just say, hello, Jen. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? Hello. No tears. Uh, <laughs> and he doesn't get to decide when it ends. And I'm sure he wishes this podcast were shorter. It's Antonio Elefano. How's it feel to be finally reviewing this film, Antonio? I know you've been asking to do it for a long time. I know I have. Um, maybe I didn't hold you all those lonely, lonely times. And I guess I never told you. I am so happy that you're mine. If I made you feel second best, I'm so sorry I was blind. You were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. I had the same problem as BT. I looked up the quotes. They all made me cry. This one almost made me cry too. But I, I actually put it on my, I, I listened to it on iTunes for a while. Um, okay. And it just, made, and, and it's a very, it's a very upbeat, like, you know, fun song. But after watching this movie, it's different. Never the same. <laughs> so you desensitized yourself to the yeah, lyrics a little I did. bit. I did. It's like a very. I'm doing great. And thank you so much. I'm so happy to do this finally. <laughs> Amazing. So we are here today. Uh, curious to, to know what subset of our listeners understood any of that. We are here today to review Andrew Hayes' romantic fantasy, All of Us Strangers, which actually just left theaters. Uh, and it is, you know, conveniently for you listening to the episode it is slated to stream on hulu this time next week on february 22nd so we're recording this on thursday february 15th by next weekend uh, you will be able to watch this movie on hulu uh, it tells the story of adam a screenwriter who lives alone in london and has to confront the loss of his parents along with the prospect of starting a new relationship now let me tell you writing that <laughs> was hard without spoiling to do so without spoilers so i'm pretty proud of myself for that one um this movie sadly got left completely out of the oscars don't worry there's gonna be plenty of lamenting about that today uh but it does have six nominations at the british oscars otherwise known as the baftas uh, which are this weekend in fact so the this haunting film with a strong ensemble cast was named in the top 10 independent films by the national board of review and of course it received a letter a long take review award from us for Andrew Scott for best actor, you know, which that's the only thing that matters is that we recognize this movie. right? So yeah, I just wanted to take the chance to read all those accolades because you're not going to hear about this in the Oscars conversation in the next couple of weeks, but that's, that's no fault of this film. <laughs> uh, so if you're listening to us for the first time, if you're like, I have no idea what this movie is and should I be still listening to this podcast? We will have a spoiler free section designed for those who have not seen the film yet. And it's basically so you can decide whether or not you want to check it out. We will we will issue a very clear spoiler alert when we shift into spoiler mode for the rest of the show. PT, if listeners don't want to be strangers to us after they hear this episode, what can they do? If they want us to always be on their mind, people should follow us wherever they get their podcasts. Look for the Long Take Review in your uh, podcast feed. Uh, they can uh, also... Uh, Subscribe on Substack, which is where it is hosted. Uh, Jen Substack, the long take. Substack.com. 
but you can find us in all the other usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, they can also check us out on Instagram and threads at the long take review uh, to get uh, more social based updates about the show. Amazing. Thanks, BT. So we are just about ready to get into talking about all of us strangers. But first, we do have a couple of items for a movie news update. Just in off the wire, it's your Hollywood news. Ah, oh, it's been too long since I've heard that. It really has glad... been. And when Greg's not here, it's it's even better. It is. It is. Because it's like he's here now. Uh, <laughs> or shaking his fist that I ever turned that into our, our movie news <laughs> bumper. Um, all right. So, you know, Oscars. I was looking at our calendar to sort of schedule our future episodes and panicked because the Oscars are actually quite soon. They're only in a few weeks. Uh, and so, you know, oh, campaigning is really hot and heavy right now. And so my first item of news I wanted to talk about was the Academy Luncheon, which is basically this big lunch that they have with anyone who has been nominated this year for an Oscar. And they take this like massive and awkward looking class photo. <laughs> have either of you <laughs> seen this online? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, cause they, they do call it a class photo because it literally is like them on risers standing awkwardly next to each other. And like in this yeah. huge photo. The the best is when like I saw one photo where it's you know while they're assembling and so the people like on the far right of the photo stage left have to like stand there for an extra like twenty minutes or so while everyone else you know filters in gets in position and you know gets lined up properly so yeah it it seems like a real a real ordeal for them. What's fascinating is that. Um they're not they're not they don't they're not grouped in a way that's sort of like by like category or anything like i always look at them just like where's the famous people <laughs> right like there's always like particular people that i'm sort of looking for and they're always like scattered about like it makes sense like lily gladstone's next next to like martin scorsese but then like divine joy randolph is like right next to martin like right next to martin scorsese and i go oh, that's an interesting conversation um and like you know, Sandra Huller is all the way on the far left. So so I, uh, I was wondering why she's all the way there. Annette Benning's up there with Killian Murphy at the top. So it's just, it is, it's um, Jodie Foster, not on, not the thing. For some reason, that's the person I was looking for. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, was she not, you know, was she not there at all? She was not there. Um, okay. There were, there were a few people who, who weren't there, but she was one of the notable ones who, who wasn't there. Yeah. You were looking for Jodie Foster because you couldn't look for Andrew Scott, who is who you really wanted. That's to right. Find in that yeah. Um, but yeah I, I will note, and and I'm totally stealing this because Jen put this in the in the doc, but I'll take it. Um, that the real winner of uh, of the whole event was Messi, the dog, the dog who played Snoop in Anatomy of a Fall, who was the star. Everyone coming up, uh, wanting to spend time with Messi, red carpet photos. Uh, and you know, I, I'm not trying to belabor, uh, you know, we're we'll really trying to try to like work overtime to make a transition happen. But, you know, I feel like it makes it seem like there should be a new category for best animal, best pet, uh, best animal actor, uh, at, at the Oscars. But Jen, do they ever have new categories? They do. <laughs> wow. Amazing. I can't blow it now. Uh, yes. In fact, PT. The, the other piece of news that we actually could have talked about on our last episode, but there was too much going on, so we, we sort of neglected to, to address it. 
The Academy came out with a best casting category, which will go into effect, I believe, in 2025. So that means it's the 2026 Oscars that will be including this in the... Well, there's a debate, actually, whether or not it will be in the broadcast or if it is in the broadcast, what will get kicked out? Because apparently they signed some sort of contract where, like, they can't make the show longer or they can't... They're not allowed to add more categories to the actual broadcast. Oh, interesting. On a... I think it was Vanity Fair as Podcast Little Goldman. So, so that could be interesting. Is like this is a shakeup, but but the main story that I heard was that, you know, this has been a long time coming. Uh, I believe the head of the Academy is from the casting branch and is on his way out, and so this is his like, I got to get this done before I get out of here. <laughs> um, but apparently, you know, all casting directors everywhere are very happy. Oscar pundits very verklempt. Oscar pundits very verklempt because they're like, well, is this going to be like best ensemble at SAG? And mm. therefore, like a best picture mm. kind of indicator, is this going to be basically best picture? Is this just going to be awarding the biggest movies with the biggest ensemble casts? Like what? Everyone's like running around with their heads off being like, what is going on? <laughs> it's very funny. Um, but what do you think? Like, what do you think? What type of, like, what is this category going to end up being, do you think? It feels to me like it would be a mistake to let it just be another best picture category of, like, the five nominees will be the five top contenders in best picture because it's yeah. like, we love all these actors. Uh, I think it would be more interesting if it, you know, were, oh, you really, like, precisely chose. Like, instead of, you know, obviously, like, Oppenheimer yeah. feels like, well, look at all those people they got. But it's also kind of like, yeah. yeah, I mean, big movie, a lot of money, famous director. Like, I would be much more interested in seeing the, the a, 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 an award for the casting of the Holdovers, uh, which is yeah. just you know, three main characters. But, like, one of them was, like, found, uh, you know, at the, at the filming location. And then All of Us Strangers, which we'll be talking about, has a very small cast. But, like, everyone is you know, really good in it. So I feel like that would be good. I also kind of assume there's going to be some casting director version of Diane Warren, who's just like, everyone loves this person. <laughs> and like, we'll get nominated every year. And there'll be like, you know, some random movie no one's heard of that was like dumped on Hulu one day, but it gets an Oscar nomination because it's like, oh, Judy did it. Like, we love Judy. Like, let's vote for Judy again. Uh, so, you know, we'll find out, we'll find out. And the magic is in, in, uh, not knowing. And I feel like part of the being verklempt is the people who like to think they know everything don't, can't know what this is. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. And there's excitement too. Like it's a good, somewhat a good, a ner a nervous, but happy energy, uh, by, from all the major Oscar pundits, uh, Antonio, what would you want to see in this category? Like what, what, what's your, what's I mean, your dream I'm, for I'm this? Gonna... I agree with PT. I had a, a conversation with Jim Clements about the holdovers and how um, his thing about the holdovers was that, that so much of the cast looked like real people. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, but it's not that they look like real people. Like they, they, like they, they embodied um, those characters really well. There are three, you know, three central characters, but there was, there are other characters at the beginning of the film, obviously who, who fit those roles really well. So to me, like if we're if we're rewarding casting as an art and not it's not best cast, right? It's best casting. Yeah. Um, then I think that that um, then that's the then that's the kind of thing that I think should be rewarded as opposed to just like, you know, having the budget to pay like, you know, um, 
20 or 15 of like the biggest stars in Hollywood, right? To have Rami Malek in like basically a cameo role, right? Like I don't, I think that's not that's that shouldn't be what this is. Um, hey, for. Holding that clipboard was a lot of work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he dropped um, that pen impeccably. How about you, Jen? What, what, what do you think this year would be your vote for best casting? If, oh, if you that's a good question. Well, so my mind immediately goes to Killers of the Flower Moon because oh, yeah. they yeah. did such an amazing job casting all those indigenous actors and, you know, people that were actually who's who were descendants. Some of them are descendants of those who were actually affected by the real life historical events of the movie. So that's kind of where I, my mind first goes to as kind of an achievement yeah in casting um but then I, I feel like i would want this category to be a mix of like something like that but then also i think of like tao Yu, who like we, we i had never seen in anything before who just like is so perfect for that part like you know what i mean i would want it to be a mix of like oh like you made this whole movie happen by putting all these actors together but then also have some nominees that are more reflective of like single instances of casting that are really good sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think now. What, what, what this category what would be the kind of thing where where only casting directors would choose the nominees, right? Only I think so. Like so there was a question about that because the big narrative about Oppenheimer is that Christopher Nolan just cast Killian Murphy like off the top yeah. rope because like like because he just knew him and was like, "Can you do this role?" Like there was a phone call between the two of them, and then it was done. So it's like, does that just not count? Like, would that not have been eligible for this? That's a good question. Um, I think the answer is yes, because it, it sounds like this is an effort put forth by the casting directors branch. And so I think what's going to happen, and I heard this discussed on, I want to say it was Awards Watch, but it was one of the podcasts in my regular rotation of like, maybe this means we we hear more narratives and more campaigning on behalf of casting directors where like suddenly we learn like what casting directors actually do and like which ones were responsible for which actors and stuff like that you know what i mean like that's just that distinction between who's doing what is just going to become more prominent because there's a separate category now um so that'll be really easy interesting to see i'll be um interested to um learn more about what's involved in casting also may december that's probably another oh, I agree. Yeah, I call right. I, like I have a, I have a feeling that even if you know uh, Killian Murphy and you know even if it were Killian Murphy, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr. were all cast, uh, and Emily Blunt maybe we're all like Christopher Nolan was like, this is who I wrote it for. Like call them that the casting directors would probably say, oh, but it's like that person who has one line in the background of one scene, like nailing that person is, is as mm. much uh, a part of the job as getting a famous star person to be in the famous like star that. person role. So I have a feeling Oppenheimer would probably still get nominated this year because, <laughs> um, you know, they would, they would, uh, you know, want to, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess. I don't think they would like disqualify it because, you know, a director chose things. I also wonder if there's a degree to which, like what you were saying, Jen, about, oh, we're going to hear more about it. If there's going to be times sort of like Bohemian Rhapsody winning for editing after the, the tensions with Brian Singer, where it's like, yeah, they got a really good cast despite the filmmakers and despite the like studio interference that like there right. will be some inside baseball component to who gets uh, actually nominated, who gets attention within the field. Um, right. That might confuse the rest some- of us. <laughs> Yeah, but might lead to some interesting tidbits. That's true. That's true. I like it. I like it. Um, So, yeah, excited to see where this goes. I know, you know, Greg's not here. 
was he the one or i don't remember who it was some one of us one of the four of us was like oh what about stunts um so i just wanted to shout that out that like you know we're happy about this but then okay what's next like like let's let's get the other other categories that we've been asking for for a long time yeah stunts or or choreography if you want to have it be both action choreography and that's right uh, uh, dance, musical choreography, right. and then voice acting. I think Greg was was talking about voice acting. That's what he came up with in the okay. thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of possibilities. Lots it's of true. people in the industry who are just not recognized at all by the Oscars, which seems like a raw deal. The last thing I'll say, just to kind of put like a a want want note on this, is that you know the the Baftas, which we're going to talk about at the end of the show, probably are going to have um or have had a casting category for some time now. They once gave Joker this ca- hmm. <laughs> best casting so i'll just i'll just leave that there this is, <laughs> this is additional information for everyone um all right so i think we are ready to get into i know Anto- antonio has been waiting long enough um <laughs> get into our short takes of uh all of us strangers I want to keep this pretty short, this in recommendation algorithm, because I just, you know, as soon as I started trying to write anything about this film, I was just like, ah, spoilers. Oh, no. Left, right, dodging everywhere. Um, so so we probably are going to, like, just try to keep these fairly brief. So make this a short, actual short, short take. But what were your general impressions of the film? We'll start with Antonio, since this is, is it, was this actually your my... favorite movie of the year? No, it's not my favorite movie. I mean, I, I think... Um... You know, I, it wasn't on my radar until actually you, Jen, mentioned wanting to see it, that it was really high on your on your list. So it's ironic that you were the last <laughs> um, of us. Well, it's just because it came came to your area like last. But um, but it wasn't on my radar. But then I was like, Jen wants to see it. I'm going to go see it. And uh, and it was just stunning. Um, I, I I thought I'd, I'd like it anyway, based on... Um, Andrew Haig, he, he did a show called Looking um, on HBO, which 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 I enjoyed, which I thought was very good. And then the, the cast, Andrew Scott, Paul Mescal, uh, Claire Foy, and Jamie Bell. I love all of those actors. Um, and it, I just thought it was just staggeringly beautiful um, on so many levels and just, uh, just a really rich um, movie. Uh, experience that uh, that I will I will not soon forget, and I, I think you'd have to be dead inside not to be moved by this. Uh, PT, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I kind of wanted to say I'm dead inside, uh, but no, I was very moved by. It. We, we're, just said, in, we're just gonna insert you crying for like five minutes straight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sobs. Uh, I yeah, I already I already said I couldn't really. Uh, I, I pulled a few quotes and then I was like, I don't. All the all these are just yeah. sad. Um, but, uh, but no, it was sad in a good way. I thought this was very, this was very moving. Uh, and, uh, I feel like it was a movie that really was walking a high wire act. There's lots of ways in which it could have gone wrong. Uh, and, uh, we will discuss probably once we get into the spoiler territory, um, that there, uh, what I've said to both of you off mic, that there were a couple times where I was like, I may not like this. Like, I may not like what this is doing. Uh, and, but it always like, you know, proved me wrong. It always sort of was, was making the right choices uh, and, uh, you know, came together in just this, you know, just waves of, uh, waves of emotion in something that I think could have been cloying and manipulative uh, or feel cloying and manipulative. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't. And I think that it's, uh, it's a real credit to both, 
the 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 telling of the story, the you know the, the writing and directing of it, but also these these core four performances, uh, all of which are incredible and really you know e- even if you what we're saying is like I don't think I want to watch a movie that's really sad that sounds awful uh, that like it's worth it for the acting it's worth it's worth to see the craft of uh, of what these actors do uh, Jen how how about you. Yeah, there's there's not much more for me to add. I definitely agree with both of you. It's it's absolutely beautiful, devastatingly sad, just like gut punch, soul crushing, like any like insert standard extreme adjective <laughs> in here. Um, but for me, what really makes it memorable is it takes things we think we've already seen, a family drama and a relationship drama. And tells them in a completely unexpected way, at least for me, like I was because and, I, and I, that's why I would say, like, if you have not seen this movie, go into it knowing as little about it as possible. Like, I know that's that's uh, hypocritical because we're asking you to listen to our podcast about it <laughs> right now in theory. But like, you know, right after we're done with this part. Right. Just go watch it. <laughs> I would say if you haven't seen it yet, um, because. Because like the the less you know about it, the better. And I think a lot of the thrill of watching it, in addition to the emotional impact, is kind of the, you know, it's not it's not twisty in like a thriller sense at all. It's it's just unexpected. Uh, it's kind of the best word I I think I can use. So, yeah. and the, yeah, the acting is amazing. And it's something that if you had written the spoiler version of the the movie's plot premise and shown it to me, I would have been like, that's ridiculous. That's not gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> like this sounds absurd but it's just so well done and and it's so believable and and like just really really drew me in um i will have to say though that i did not all out cry during this not because my heart is made of stone but because i i procrastinated seeing this movie and it was like one of those things where it was now or never it was the last day it was going to be in theaters near me and it was a 10 o'clock screening and I was by myself in the theater. And then in the last act, some random dude came in and was just like shuffling around. Like he didn't just like sit. And I was just like, wait, why are you coming in now? Like this, this doesn't make any sense. And like, so then I got really nervous and scared and like panicked and was just like, was like two. I had to split my attention between making sure like nothing weird was happening and because he kept getting up and moving to different seats like it was a very weird situation um and just making a lot of noise and just like so yeah i i couldn't i couldn't um be as emotionally vulnerable as i think i would have had i been even just like watching this at home probably um or just watching this during the day with other people in the room (laughs) i mean like so it's a very unusual circumstance but but otherwise like I, i so i had to appreciate this more on an intellectual than like a raw and emotional one i think but yeah, sorry to, to, but I feel I'm, like that, that has to color my, my review. <laughs> in some I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm mad that this guy interfered. Yeah. I'm, I'm mad yeah. that he, he took it away from you. Yeah. But um, talk about spoiler mode. This guy. And then I, right. And then I kept wondering like why he was there. And I was like, does he just not want to go home? And like, this is one of the last movies that's playing right now in this theater. I don't know. Like it was, <laughs> it was just so weird. I've never had experience like that. Um, there's a big difference between going to a movie at nine o'clock at that versus ten o'clock because I do the, the the former fairly often, um, and I've not had this problem. So he was trying to figure out how to process Lisa Frankenstein and was like, "Well, this looks like a place I can do that." <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, 
or he had just gotten out of uh, Argyle. It was like, oh. I need something to bring me down to earth. <laughs> no. I need you to know. pick me up. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So, you know, I think we're ready to do a quick recommendation algorithm. You, know, We've all given kind of a general endorsement of this film, but I want to get more specific about like who should, in particular would really like this movie. So the, recommenda- the recommendation algorithm in which we establish the audience of a film. So again, trying not to get into spoilers, I feel like the genre or genres this movie inhabits are somewhat unusual. And so like I had a hard time thinking of like a reference point of like, oh, people who like this type of movie should go watch this. But so help me out here. Like what, who should be seeing this movie? What kind of reference points can we set up for them? This is a hard one. Um, I, I was, when I was thinking back to sort of like what kind of movies I'd, I'd well, I, I I started with qualities of the film. And, and one thing is that it's, it's talky and, and pretty theatrical, uh, you know, it has a very small cast and it's um, so, so that reminded me of last year, um, women talking, uh, which was also talky and very theatrical. Mm-hmm. So, um, so people who just like love like excellent dialogue, excellent character work um, and enjoys like, you know, just like an acting showcase. Um, I think, I think this would be good for them. And then the other thing that I thought of, was um, like a sustained sort of mood piece, like Lost in Translation, which is also kind of a relationship mm. drama too. Um, so those were those were the two. Those were my that's my those are my additions to the algorithm. How about you all? I yeah I don't know I I'm I'm remembering going uh, Jenna was at your birthday party and we were all sitting sitting around in a circle talking and uh, we I had just seen Past Lives and you had both seen it like a few weeks earlier. And I, we kept telling people to go see it. I was like, it's small and it's quiet. And I think Antonio was like, that's not selling it. That's not like, <laughs> it doesn't sound positive to people to lead with that. Um, but I, I don't know. I like those qualities in a movie yeah. like this. And I think this is another one that's very, like, it's, it is just sort of, the, you know, the, the, the lives of these people and their interactions. And again, it, you know, it's, there's just four main characters and that's pretty much all you see in the movie. Like there's, you know, some background people and, and transit moments, but, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, we're just sort of following four people interacting. Mm-hmm. And um, like uh, Antonio said, it, it, it does feel very stagey in a good way. Like it feels like, oh, this could be a play. Like you can kind of see like lights down on this set, lights up mm-hmm. on this set. And, you know, the, the conversation is, is happening over there now. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that is something that, you know, people are, can be hungry for, whether it's just like, oh yeah, like an actual like human drama and people interacting. Um, and again, kind of repeating myself, I think that it's, it's just, if you want to watch actors just doing great work and, and being really kind of raw and open and honest with each other in a way that I think people lament of like, I don't make movies that do this anymore. Everything's corporate uh, uh, cookie cutter, blah blah blah. That like this doesn't feel like that at all, and I think that people who are hungry for that and missing that, uh, I think could could connect with this movie. In particular, Andrew Scott, because in terms of like actors that might draw people to this movie, because you've never seen him like this. I'm pretty sure, like, because most people know him from Fleabag, right, and from Sherlock, which he's wonderful in both of those, but they're just such different roles that. You just you're just not going to see this performance coming at all. 
And it's so um, funny because you see flashes of the Andrew Scott you know, like pretty like regularly where you're just like, yeah, yeah, all right, it's Andrew Scott. Like he's doing some Andrew Scott things. Uh, and then like, but he has this like, yeah, obviously he's a good actor and is playing a character and that character is very present and is very different from what you're used to. So it's, yeah, it almost makes the sort of other parts that come in hit harder because you start to like, so, like let down your guard because you're like, oh yeah, it's Hot Priest. This is fine. Uh, it's like, <laughs> I know what oh, this God. is. Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> um, I, like, I like all of those comps. Uh, the mention of Lost in Translation, Antonio, makes me think of Drive My Car. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Because I feel like the, and especially PT, you mentioned the transportation scenes, like the repetition of like being on the tube, being on the train, like yeah. going, going somewhere over and over again, like that actually is very drive my car in terms of, and then in terms of the quiet and the kind of lot, people staring out windows, like this is, <laughs> this is a people staring out windows movie, uh, for sure. <laughs> in a good way, in a way that's like really way. moving. I think. I think that's good. Are we ready to go spoiler mode? I'm dying to go into spoiler mode. It's hard to hold back. Yes. So we are about to go into spoiler mode. If you have not seen all of us strangers and you do not want it spoiled. And trust me, there's a lot of big spoilers to be had for this one in particular. We've been really good. We've been really dancing around um, some major things that are just a basic part of this movie. So we are going to discuss the the plot in a lot more detail and spoil everything. So uh, if you, this is your time to exit watch the movie it's going to be on hulu really soon and then come back and rejoin us for the rest of the conversation okay so i think i'm gonna start usually i start with like the biggest spoiler possible because that's fun but i actually am gonna start with the take that i've heard so far about this movie that i disagree with the most uh and that is uh sean fantasy on the big picture one of my favorite movie podcasts and you know Sean Fantasy is generally a a critic that I listen to and respect a lot uh though I don't always agree with him and this is one of those cases he said that he interprets everything that happens in this film especially because of the ending which we're going to get to in a second I think as a part uh, as taking place in the life of the mind was the the phrase that he used and that to me implied that he thought that it was not none of it was supposed to be real that it was all sort of like a dream of the Adam character played by Andrew Scott and kind of like his imagination. Cause he's a writer and he's trying to think of, think of stories for his, so what do you think about that? I don't agree with that, but I want to hear what you think first. <laughs> like what is real I, in this movie? And what is, what is just a dream? I, I think I, Sean I, fantasy. I think Sean fantasy is soft. This is a Jacob's ladder situation. Andrew Scott's dead too. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that, but I wanted to throw they're the all dead. Out. I want to throw oh, the take out. Uh, do we ever Sorry, see Antonio? Look in the I cut you off. You you should. No, you should I mean, a real I, answer. So I I when I when when I saw this and I, I and I read this, I was like, oh, I hate this. I hate this so much. But you know what? I I, I will because I and but then when I was reading through the quotes, I, I I'll admit when I was reading through the quotes, um, the ones that 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 um that made me cry and PT cry, um, I thought <laughs> it actually made me think. All right. <laughs> like the lines are so perfect, like sort mm. of like perfectly manicured. And a lot of these moments just feel like these sort of like perfectly manufactured writerly things um, that like I I understand that as a theory, like that's a credible theory, but it's one that I do not, that I choose 
not to believe, right? Like anatomy, what was the line in anatomy of fall was something like, sometimes you just have to choose <laughs> like what you're, you're going to believe, what you're not going to believe. Yeah, you have to decide. So I, I decided very early on how, how I was going to interpret this. Now, that interpretation had to change a little bit based on the ending, which we'll talk about in a bit. Mm -hmm. But um, I, um, so I, I had a, my, my old MFA director, he used to like, when, 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 when reading novels that had like, um, dream sequences. Dream sequences in novels are often put in like these like italics, italics, right? Like there'd be like, you know, five pages in italics. And, um, and his, his line, whenever he'd, he'd come across a passage like this with, with just italics was just like, oh, permission to skip, <laughs> right? And, um, and I have to admit that um, I, like in television shows, for example, like um, so The Sopranos and Ted Lasso, um, there are sometimes like almost entire episodes that are dedicated to like, to dream sequences or like a dream, mm -hmm. whatever. And, uh, and it's always my least favorite episode <laughs> of a season because I rarely think that they do what they're trying to, for me, what they're trying to do, which is to express in, in action and in images what is going on in a character's interior often. Um, what I love about this movie is that it takes its fantastical premise, a man getting to know his long deceased parents and they getting to know him in turn mm -hmm. and expresses it in a way that is very much in the realm of realism. So I think that if I accept the premise that like, oh, it's none of it's real, then it just cheapens just so much mm. everything. So, um, so, so that's when like I, you, you put in your, the, the, the premise, the argument, and I had to entertain it. And then I was just like, I'm just, that's, um, th again, that's intellectually speaking. I, I get it. There's support for it. And I choose, I decide, I've decided not to believe it. What do you all think? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think that, I think that's right. I think it's both correct as in, in a factual sense and also the right moral thing to do. Um, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think that, it's intentionally left open enough that you can have that interpretation. If that is what, you know, work makes this work best for you. If for, again, I don't, I don't want to, you know, belittle anyone who feels like, who likes that. Um, but like, if, if for some reason that's like going to make this maximize the impact of the story of like, Oh my God, like it was in his head all along, all of it. Um, then cool. Like you can do that. I think that I, I don't think there's anything that contradicts that in, in the text itself. Um, but I don't know why you would want to do that. Like, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't see that perspective. That seems like uh, so kind of just reductive of everything that we experience and that we see. And I, I have said, uh, uh, again, multiple times to all of you, and I referenced it earlier, there were two moments during the course of the movie when I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. And one of them was when I was like, oh, everything's a dream. Like, this is stupid. Like, why, like... I'm I'm feeling it, but like I don't like that. Like this is Super Mario Brothers yeah. two. Like we're just gonna find him at his typewriter at the end, and then just be like, and then the end. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and there's one other all the things we'll you could have referenced there. You pick Super Mario. It's what I always think of, uh, and okay, it's because I I I we. <laughs> I teach a summer creative writing class with one of our colleagues and we always talk about don't make your short stories to, to high school students. Don't make your short stories all a dream. And there's all kinds of real literary references that one could make. And in my head, it's Mario. Uh, it's his Mario with his covers <laughs> up and his little hat on. That's what I think. Because it was really brilliant when I was like eight and, played, and finished Super Mario 2. Um, but in every other instance, it's terrible. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I didn't like thinking that was the case. And, uh, and you know, sort of 
letting go of that and being like, oh, that's, you know, no, that isn't the point. That isn't going to be the twist. I, for a while, I started thinking that was going to be the twist. And the movie is smart enough and, and makes the right choice to not definitively say that. But again, people are welcome to choose that if, if they want. I think that's absolutely fine. But it, it I feel like it, it, I don't know, in, in, in smallens, the opposite of in biggins, it, it, it in smallens all of the, uh, all of what we see. No, I wanted to make it in Biggins, though. I, I, I know. But <laughs> I wanted to go video like games it. to Simpsons when talking about oh, all the strangers. Okay. Seemed important. <laughs> what do you think, I feel Jay? like, I think that, so one of my favorite things about this movie is that it is a ghost story. Like, that it's like, ghosts are real. Like, that to me was the biggest draw as I was watching. It was like, wow, this is so interesting. And in particular, and, and this to me would be evidence against the, it was all a dream argument, but the ghost seems sentient in a way that I feel like I have not actually seen in anything before um, in my, at least in recent memory where it was like two things. One is sort of what Antonio mentioned of like, they're getting to know him just as much as he is getting to know them. And they're not, they're not spectral in the sense of like, they say something ominous and then fade away. Right. They're, they're actually, they, they function as real people. They've just sort of time traveled in some ways. Right. Or, or they're stuck in time. Right. So they, they think and feel like it's still 1980, whatever. Right. And, but they just happen to be into 2023. Right. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is that the way that they leave the story, which is, which is, I think that the family dinner scene Oh, that's, that's yeah. like the roughest, one of the roughest things I've ever had to sit through uh, in terms of like just just emotional devastation. Um, yeah. But the way that they're they kind of are, are the way that they start that it ends like my quote to introduce Antonio was like, you don't get to decide how it ends. And that's setting up that scene where they're like realizing, oh, I'm not going to be in this world anymore. Right. Like I'm, I'm going wherever else I go as a ghost and that they sort of like start to lose their memories of the present right because like, the mom and like or they yeah like they die again kind of like the mom in particular she loses her eyesight which was i was like oh that's so fascinating that like what an interesting take on ghosts that like you know enter our world and leave right um and then that they don't know how they died right they have to ask him um was it quick right and he kind of lies um <laughs> right sort of um uh so like all of those things, how like giving the ghosts almost like agency, but also vulnerability in a way that I just, just stereotypical mm -hmm. ghosts. Like if you think of like the ghosts in A Christmas Carol, right? They're, they're the exact opposite. They're only there as sort of allegorical figures and to sure. be like, ooh, like, and then leave. Like, <laughs> um, whereas these felt like real people, they just happened to be dead. Uh <laughs> So, in many so, ways, yeah. this is a good double bill with Beetlejuice, another movie about <laughs> uh, ghosts as real people. Uh, Jen, I, I, I was thinking about this. Should, in case there are people who barrel through the spoiler alert, but like listen to us talk without having to go see the movie, should we explain what we're talking about? Like even just briefly, like what happens that like he's talking to his parents. He he gets to go and speak to the the his parents at the age they were when right before they died but when he was what was he like 10 or 11 or 7 i forget the exact age um 
I don't know. I just in case there's people, they might be like, "What is happening? Like, what they're is right, being right, talked if they're about?" They're super. I mean, they shouldn't be here, honestly. Get out of they here. shouldn't, but you know, <laughs> just like people shouldn't think it's life of the mind. No, you know, no, everyone's allowed to you know approach and do things incorrectly. Right. And I guess okay, so I'll do it by way of continuing extending the point that I was making. So the other thing that makes this so interesting is that the way that he discovers them, right? It's not like it's there are no jump scares. He's not like who's there? I heard a creaking in the in my old house. It's literally like he shows up. Like he's visiting them and they live there. Like they're just like, hey, what's up? We're here. Like, and they're just living in their old house like they used to without any sort of, without much ado. Right. Um, and so, so this is, yeah, this is what happens where he goes back to visit his childhood home and then his dad is just like in the driveway. And then he, and then they kind of act like they were expecting him. Right. They were, he's like, come on in. Your mom's waiting. Right. Like, and they're like, oh, let's put the kettle on. Like, they're doing all these mundane things. They're not making a big deal out of the fact that, wait, you died 12 years ago. <laughs> right. Um, and there isn't the like, how could there's never a conversation about like, how could you be real? Or like, why are you here? You know what I mean? Which I think also very smart because it makes it less about are they ghosts or are they not? And more about sort of like, what does it mean for them to have be having these conversations at this point? Um, and to reconcile all these things that, that they couldn't have before, right? Did I my, my my response to all, all the, the good stuff that you were saying uh, is that I think the best argument for, and I don't want to like hold on to the life of the mind thing, is that like it, it it's it's like oh well then where where is he? Like is he just breaking into an empty home? Is it someone else's home? And he's having like he's seeing this 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 vision, um, and, and I think that I say that because. Only when I read your document, the, uh, the outline for the episode, Jen, I never thought of them as ghosts. Like, like this is the first time mm. I'm thinking of this as ghosts. I always just thought of like, it was some weird like pocket dimension of like t- folded time where oh, they got to interact with each other um, in, in, you know, through, through some sort of, you know, that, yeah, like they, they slipped out of reality, which in in any sort of like realistic way of thinking about it isn't that different from a life of the mind thing but i thought it was like these are real interactions like they mm. are distinct like they are themselves they are the parents are the the souls and thoughts and brains and minds of the parents and not just his projection of them um yeah. but i didn't think that like he actually went to the house i didn't think he was actually in that space i thought that he like went to you know again some sort of some other thing some other like like mm-hmm, souped mm-hmm. up version and those those train rides were him like entering into another world and not actually just suburban london um, oh interesting where, where he was going but i think it's uh, i think that's you know part of the interpretation of it i have no problem from this point forward referring to them as ghosts um but i just never thought of them that way i don't know what antonio thought yeah what do you I think i thought of them as ghosts okay. <laughs> um, but i but yeah. i also i I, but I, I agree with you, PT, too, also in, the, in as much as that it didn't make sense that he would be going to the house and they would just, and the, that he was just walking into, into that house. It, it seemed like he was going into something else. But, uh, and I don't know what that thing is. I think, I think that we get a lot of surreal train stuff. So mm-hmm. this, so I, I think you're right that, that, that it's something about sort of like a passage to something else. And I'm not sure what unlocks that. Um, 
but you know, and like I'm a person who who again, like my stuff about dream sequences, it just applies to anything. Like I'm I'm very much in the realm of realism and I like realism. And so for me to suspend disbelief, to choose, to just like I'm I'm gonna just buy on these that that's that's their his dead parents and they're talking and that's fine. <laughs> that um that just shows the level of skill, I think, of this of this um film that you know I think all stories invite us to a certain degree to sort of suspend disbelief, but some require more, like suspension of disbelief. And this one requires a lot, but it, but the reward is so um, immense. Um, I think that, um, so yeah, I, I think I, I thought of them as ghosts. I, I maybe somewhere in between, like ghosts, but but a, a lot of your interpretation speckled in um, as well, PT. Yeah, I think in my letterbox review, I used the phrase "delayed reality." That this to me was did, did not feel impactful because it was a dream it was because it was like this this sense of what making up for what could have been right yeah. so like all this time he's had to live without his parents and be alone and then now it's like oh what what would the, what would it be like to suddenly be able to pick up now right and know them now and get to know them now meet them now like it is kind of like a meet like a weird like meet cute between him and his parents where they're like, they have to kind of awkwardly get to know each other again. And they don't recognize him. And they're like, the mom is like, you look exactly like my dad. This is freaking me out. <laughs> like, so there's a sense of newness to it. That makes it to me, makes it almost impossible to actually function as a dream or a vision or something like, you know what I mean? Cause there's so many little details of like this being a new interaction and they're meeting each other for the first time in this context. And then same thing, and this might transition us into talking about the the ending. Um, sure. Same thing with the uh, Paul Mescal's character, Harry. When we find out, okay, I'll do it the right way this time, PT. So if you're still listening somehow, and you don't care that we're about to spoil this huge thing in this movie, at the end of this movie, I'll explain what happens first. And then I just, I seriously, just watch the movie, though. Like, yeah. you should go watch the yes, movie. Yes, this is your last chance. Your last you, chance. You've reached the point where we've spoiled everything in the trailer, which, you know, you, they shouldn't have spoiled in the trailer, but whatever. Now you can leave. This I don't is think like I saw the trailer. Oh, I, I, saw it, like, I saw it like 10 times. This was at the Alamo for like th three months. Oh, anyway. okay, okay. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, the, the, the trailer spoiled up to now, but we're really spoiling it at this so point. So, yes, this is this is for reals. Uh, so, the twist, the huge tw twist, quote unquote, at the end is that we that when Adam goes to look for Harry, because presumably he has run away from seeing the ghost parents, he's like, oh, what, what is going on? I'm out, I'm out of here. Right. That's what or that's what we're led to believe. Right. And then Adam goes back, goes, finds his apartment because we've never actually during the movie been to Harry's apartment. They both live in the, We know that we both they both live in the same building, but we've, we've always been hanging out in Adam's apartment, not in Harry's. So we go to Harry's apartment and he figures it out because like he I, and I love this attention to detail planted in their first meeting is his is Harry's complaining about the the noise of the was it the lift right and then like he has white he's like i have white noise i'm like i have a white noise on to help me sleep and so that's what we, that's what he hears adam hears in the from the hallway he figures out that's where his apartment is it's so good um but we find out that there's a a, a corpse in this apartment that has probably been there for many days and then i, I think this is open to, to interpretation but my interpretation is that when we when they first meet 
And Adam closes the door and is like, you're drunk. Get out of here. I don't. This is creepy. I don't understand what's happening. I'm going to close my door. That then that night, Harry dies in his apartment, either from just like over like overdosing or, you know, whatever, something, something. Because he's a, he, he they clearly establish he has substance abuse issues. Right. And so like, you know, something like that happens. He dies alone in his apartment. And for the for the entire movie. <laughs> Adam has been dating a ghost. Yes? Maybe? What do we think? I agree with that. I, I think it's also possible that they never talked at all. He just saw him in the window one time. Oh. And that was, like, that's my, I guess maybe that's my dream of the mind, is that everything with Harry was something that he created when he was, like, or or that he was opening the sort of portal to talk to his parents and this other person showed up, like, that Harry was already dead when they had that first conversation because he makes the vampires at my door reference, which is really about the song that, uh, that Adam remembers, like, and not mm-hmm. the song that Harry remembers. So, oh. um, but you know, yeah, it, either way. Um, I, I don't think that there was, uh, any actual human interaction between the two of them, uh, since, since that time, since that initial okay. door conversation. But he's holding the same bottle. I feel like visually the camera tries to do so much to be like, hey, like to evoke that first night. But he also sees him from the street because of the fire drill. And so he's, I think he's holding the bottle then. So I think everything, maybe not the white noise thing. So maybe that is the the enough evidence to throw it off. Um, I I don't know. I, I felt like that was possible. Um, yeah, that's, but I'm not married to that theory. What, what do you think, Antonio? Uh, I thought that the first interaction, their first, like at the door, I thought that that was a real, like that, that, that they had that conversation and then, um, and then the rest, I don't know what to make of the rest. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so, okay, here's my thing about like, I, I'm, I'm so curious about your reaction um, to the ending um, because I, by, by, at, at that point, after he had that the um, the conversation with his family, the goodbye, like the second goodbye, right? Um, I was already a wreck, right? And so then you get to this moment, and I, I you know, like the movie, I don't, I don't think it cheats toward this ending. It's it's obvious throughout that something is sort of amiss, right? And that there's that 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 um, you know, there are hints all throughout, more than hints, but. There was just the the same part of me that was like, I choose to believe that he was talking to his dead parents, his dead parents were talking to him, and that's real. <laughs> also chose to believe that like he's gonna go home and and um and Harry's gonna be there and they're gonna I, I don't know how it's gonna work out exactly, but 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 he but he but but uh Adam needs a win. <laughs> right? Like it like it's uh there there's gotta be some glimpse of like happiness and something to look forward to in his future after resolving all this fraught stuff in his past. And then and then and then this happens, which which wasn't surprising so much as like and I'm I'm not sure if it was disappointing. Um but I, I was just like, I can't anymore. Like my heart's already broken. I can't break mm. any more than it's already broken. So, um, and I think that my one, you know, I, I was talking to someone else about like, I just wish he wasn't dead. <laughs> they were like, well, that, that won't work. You can't, you can't, he has to be dead. And I was like, I guess. Um, but um, I think the one. Why? Because it's too one, happy? Otherwise? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I and, and it leads to the one sort of artistic 
decision at, at the end of the movie that I actually didn't agree with, which is that this the the sort of last image of them sort of like like you know, spooning, holding one another, and then as if that could sort of like make up for the rest of this, you know, like, like we're going to just have this one nice image and it's going to, it's, it, that will take away the fact that this is just like an incredibly mm-hmm. devastating thing on top of an incredibly devastating thing. So, um, so for me, I, I, yeah. Okay. So I'm kind of glad Jen, that it seems like you would be okay with like the happy ending. Cause, cause, um, cause I was really rooting for, I, I was like, I need it. I need it. <laughs> um, and they, did so, say, they did seem to be really setting it up because I think, the mom has that one line where she's like sending him off to be like, no, you go back to that, that nice hairy boy and you try to make it work. Right. Like, because you might need to take care of each other or like you might need, you both need some help, but like you can be there for each other. Right. Or something, something to that yeah. effect. Right. And it's really beautiful how she says that. Right. It's because so think of thinking about her initial reaction and I can't believe we've gone this long. It's 50 minutes and we haven't mentioned that the huge narrative in this, like the, 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 the main thing that happens when he meets his parents again for the first time is that he is able to come out to them in a way that he would not have when he was 12 and so uh that initial conversation with with his mom and she it doesn't go the way that i think both he thinks and that the worst setup to think right because the mom seems to be the more nurturing loving character and then she actually has harder time with him coming out to her right um I mean, she's still, it, it turns out okay at the end, right? But like, but she, ha- she bristles the most more than the dad. The dad is kind of actually more accepting initially um, of it, which I think reverses kind of people's expectations probably. But um, because she's like, you can tell me, like, it seems that they, it seems like they're closer, right? And so that's why it's a, it's a surprise. Anyway, the, I think the fact that she says that line sets up the story to be its resolution is like what you were saying, Antonio, that because he has resolved these issues because of this strange, crazy, supernatural happenstance of these ghosts coming back into his life and then leaving that he's able to then move on. He was the Adam that closed the door before this. Mm -hmm. And then he's the Adam that can open the door after. And I feel like that, that was, that made a lot of sense to me as like the arc of this movie. (laughs) And then to double down on the tragedy that like, Oh, that Harry's been dead the whole time. I was I was unhappy about it just because I wanted them to be happy. But then also I was just like, wait, but what is this for? <laughs> like what? <laughs> um, but yeah, PT, PT, what do you think? Well, uh, you, we're, we're hitting on the second time when I was like, I don't like this. Like, I actually think this is a bad. Uh, uh, like, I don't know if I was going so far to say this is a bad movie, but I was like, this this is going off the rails right now. Uh, and it was. I I will admit I didn't think the two of them were going to end up together. I thought what it was going to be was they were going to sort of be like, look, I'm glad we had this. Like I am, I am more open. I am able to be myself. The two of us aren't going to work out. Like like other people might move into the building. And then it's, that's like, that was going to be the image of everyone can move on. They can, they can open their hearts to to other people. Um, When like for, a couple, I don't know, a minute or two when, when he goes into, uh, uh, Adam goes into Harry's, uh, uh, apartment, uh, and is like, oh, there's a smell. I thought it was that when they had gone their separate ways after, like, basically while, while Adam was going off to like close the book with his parents, uh, Harry had gone and killed himself. And so I was just like, you know what? Screw you. Like, this is getting to like the notebook <laughs> level of you're just trying to like pull my heartstrings mm-hmm, with like mm-hmm. no real thing. So like I was 
actively mad. Somehow, for some reason, once it was like, oh, this is, he was, he has been, he's been dead the whole time or, you know, since that first night that made it better. That made it a little bit like, oh, okay. Like then it's just that like, like there was something to me about how, uh, whatever it was that sort of opened this portal that sort of like, like, you know, broached these different realms of existence um, between uh, Adam and his parents, like Harry, like got sucked into it. And sort of Harry was there too. Cause he died like right when that was happening. Uh, and that like allowed them to sort of have this. So I felt like that uh, again, to Antonio's point, like gave me the permission to be like, Oh, all of that was actual interactions. They actually had those, moments of of love and and growth and and learning about mm-hmm. themselves and each other and all of that happened uh and you know then I, I was back around to it and then i can't put like i can't put it into words and i can't put my finger now on why but that the closing image not necessarily the closing image of the two of them like on the bed with andrew scott with, with adam um like sort of singing the song um to harry but the the pullback into just like everyone is just stars like basically everyone has their own sort of world that image was i was just sort of like yes brilliant like a plus this movie's wonderful and i don't really know i can't i don't remember why i felt that was like that fully brought me back like and made all of this make sense but there's just something about the cosmic nature of how it was presented and the magical realism of the whole story Mm -hmm. just made it seem like how it was just like yeah we are all you know and again it's all of us strangers like all of us are just off in our own little galaxies like doing our own thing and we have all these things happening around us and you know that's okay like like we we can exist in that and uh you know that's that's we we, we can grow and learn and improve and and accept within within that space even if we are very far away from technically someone else to me the the, the first i'm gonna make a silly point and then I'm going to make a more serious response to what you just said. Um, the silly point is that to me in that moment when they kind of like bink into like a star at the end, I was like, he's been dead the whole time too. They're all dead. They're all in heaven. Uh, and and then and then I was like, I had to walk myself back from that. I was like, no, that can't be what it is. Um, but that's that's sort of where my mind went. So so I have kind of the opposite interaction where I'm like, I I kind of don't. I feel like the that's too almost too much ambiguity at the very very end to be like and are we all stars we're all here like and i'm like no i just really need to know like where are these people and what was happening to them <laughs> right? um so part of me has is like has that frustration but here's here's my counter argument as to like why this all works um and why why harry being dead all along um actually fits in with what the movie is trying to do so one is I go back to my idea of this delayed reality. It's not a dream. It's a delayed reality because the way in which he's Adam sort of feels the same regret with his parents of like, I never got to, they never got to know me, the, the full me, right. I never got to tell them who I really was. And now I can, uh, this is sort of the thing of like, I of like kind of making up for the regret of like, I was not in a place to be accepting of a relationship or to be open to like my heart was not open enough for someone like Harry before, but now because he's a ghost and I can now interact with ghosts, like I am able to sort of like to have that, have that reality deferred, right. To be like, okay, like I can do it now. So I'm going to do it now, even though it's no longer possible. Um, So I, I thought 
it creates a nice parallel with the parents in a way that's really interesting in terms of where he is as a person and like what and then also adam's story of like because they have twin coming out stories sort of right like or like their interactions with their families that's where the title comes from all of us strangers that because i think harry has the line where he says I've always felt like a stranger in my own family. Right. Um, and part of that is because of once he came out, he became sort of like, he says like on the edges of his family, like he's not the, at the middle, like the, the heterosexual relationships in his family are with like married and kids and stuff like that. And so I think the fact that he's also a ghost at the end ties their stories together where it's like, they both were so lonely and ostracized because they were gay that that is partially it's not just the tragedy right in like in adam's case that's driving him to be isolated and alone and closed off but it you know it's actually the fact that you have when you're gay you have to be a stranger to people right that makes it so that you know someone like harry is driven to substance abuse and like and eventually that is what 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 killed him right so i think there's lots of ways i can see that it all ties together uh, regardless of how I actually feel about the ending as an ending, if that makes sense. I think it's important to note this was adapted from a novel, right? And um, and I think that that if you're adapting a novel, I like I, I'm I'm a big fan of just like whatever adaptation is adaptation. You can you can change things, but but this is probably too big uh would, mm. would have been too i assume that the novel ended this way right with with um harry being dead and my guess is is that it contains additional texture that would perhaps make it more palatable to me and to jen <laughs> um that uh, in that in that form but um and not feel like a little bit of a slap in the face <laughs> uh at the end as beautiful as it is and i i like I would still, I still adore this movie, even though I didn't, I, I, it, it, it was, it was like in the same way that sort of like past lives was like the perfect ending. This was like, not that, <laughs> but it was still a movie that I would, I, I heartily recommend to people um, because just, um, I mean, some of these scenes, um, I mean, you've mentioned some of them, but I think that one of the, one of the heartbreaking exchanges was when the, um, um, the, the, the dad was talking about how he could hear his son crying mm -hmm. in his room. And, um, and so the dad, you know, feels bad now. And he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't come into your room. And then Andrew Scott, adult Andrew Scott, of course, would say what any adult would say, which is like, it's fine. It was a long time ago, but he breaks when he's saying that, right? He says like, it was a long time ago um, and, and starts to cry. And then I started <laughs> to cry because um because it just sort of shows that, that like, I, I love your phrase, Jen, as soon as I read it in your review, is delayed reality, right? Um, uh, that these things, these wounds that, that we, we sometimes take as, as kids, like we carry them for a long mm -hmm. time and sometimes they get resolved and sometimes they don't. And part of the, the wonderful grace of this movie is the ability of characters to address those as, as fully formed adults and to have conversations that allow them to, to move beyond them and to grow from them um, in a way that, um, you know, that, that people typically don't get to do. Right. And so, so that's, I think why part of the reason why I just decide I make, I made certain decisions about how I interpret this movie, because that's the only way that it sort of like makes emotional sense to me. It's the only way that yeah. it sort of makes artistic sense to me. It's the only way that, that, that like that 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 the beauty of it can can stay sort of preserved in my heart. <laughs> um, so yeah, 
And you alerted to this earlier when you said that the conversations are like almost too perfect or like too. Yeah. But I think I think that that works with the themes of the movie, right? That it's like mm. the the fantasy of this movie is as much the nature of the conversations that are taking place yeah. as it is that they're the fact that there are dead people walking around. Right. Like like that's part of like that's part of the fantasy is like we normally people living people in real time never have the types of like resolutions yeah and catharsis that a lot of these yeah. characters have with each other right yeah and to You're be like good. oh i'm glad you grew up to be like a good person you know what i mean like there's there's a yeah. lot of moments they're just like impossible they're just impossible they would never exist in real life when I was when I was going through lines that I really liked in the movie, I, I I pulled this one, and this was actually the line that 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 as much as I loved it, as much as it broke my heart when I heard it, it actually brought me back to to the theory that you started with, Jen, was that like, oh, this is all a writer's invention, and it was when the dad said to Adam, "I know I was never good at saying it, I couldn't get the words out, but I do love you very much." somehow even more now that I love you, right? It's just, it's so sort of perfect in that like you could imagine a writer in the situation like that that um, that the character is in mm -hmm. imagining that this is the ideal interaction he could, like the, the, the one thing that he could get his father to say to him and and it would make make him feel whole um, is something like that. And it's so it's almost too perfect. I have something terrible to say and I'm glad Antonio already brought it back. The more that we're talking about it, the more I'm like, Maybe this is just something that like it's it's what he was writing the whole time. And the fact that this guy random stranger came to his door, he's like, I'm putting him in the story too. And like, fine, like and that's gonna right. be a thing. Um, and you know, all of it is is a spin out from it. I think the fact that the and maybe this is what I liked about it, just sort of getting this weird sort of celestial cause you know, cosmic image at the end, is that it didn't explain it. It didn't say and here's what it was. It didn't, it wasn't like cut to mm -hmm. the, you know, EMTs wheeling Andrew Scott out being like, right. I wonder what he was thinking in his final moment. <laughs> so whatever. Like that, I think that could have been a very cheap sort of ending. Yeah. So I understand. I hear what you're saying. I, you know, and, and again, I had a, I, I guess I, I had this like, like I was thinking something else was happening in, in the moments when he was finding Harry dead um, and, and I was having this reaction where it was just sort of like, is the point of this whole movie that gay people can never really be happy? It's like he finally gets closure and he finally finds love. And it's like, no, that's got to that's gotta go away too. Um, and uh, clearly that wasn't what, the, I, I didn't think that's what they were really saying, but I was getting frustrated with that. So the fact it wasn't that, and, and it wasn't that like, oh, we, I, I just didn't get back in time before he made this like terrible choice. And and I'm now stuck with another wave of regret and and just having missed uh, you know it stopping a loved one from dying. Um, that instead it is this you know uh, magical realism, uh, uh, delayed reality, folded reality, whatever. Um, I, like I was like okay, like I I made peace with it in the way that maybe Antonio is saying, which sounds a lot like we have to like. I, I that that feels like it's giving it leeway and excusing stuff that is bad, but I don't we I, I don't think either of us mean it that way. It's sort of like no, no, like it's it's this is very ambiguous and it's very kind of uh, again, it's it's just fantastical in in a way that like we don't usually think of when we think of fantasy. Um, and yeah, I I've just thought that 
leaving it open-ended, not having a clear closure, letting it be something that you can decide what exactly happened. And like the only thing that's real is the emotional truth of what happened between these characters. Uh, that's why what I thought was beautiful about it and why I think it works, even if it doesn't get to the level of a past lives ending. But then again, what does? <laughs> uh, that's a fair point. So I think because my next question that I'm going to ask is what we have in the rhetorical situation. So I'm going to I'm going to pop us in there. All four of us uh, regular co-hosts on the show. So Greg's not here. So it's us plus Greg are writing professors in, in varying capacities and have an academic background in writing, English literature, creative writing, all this stuff. So we like to use the rhetorical situation to sort of use our academic experiences as a lens through which to look through a film. So in the teaching of writing or rhetoric, the, re the rhetorical situation refers to any contextual factors that influence composing and interpretation so that's sort of like the namesake of this of this segment that we like to do. The thing I thought of the most in terms of like things that I teach in my class that sort of pop pop up for me in this movie is this idea of genre, which I sort of said at the very beginning before we went into spoiler mode, that the genre of this is so unusual because I would call it a ghost story. Uh, but it's not a typical ghost story at all. And like we were just talking about how it's fantasy, but it's not PT was saying fantasy, not but not in the way that we usually associate that genre with. So I just want to answer the general question of like, first, what genre or genres would you associate with this movie? But then also like, what do those genres afford us in terms of what this movie is trying to do? So the thing I put in here was like, so why make this about ghosts instead of just memories? Like, like there's a version of this movie that is like flashbacks to his childhood as opposed to him actually inhabiting his childhood as an adult. Like, I've never taken a grown man in pajamas as seriously as I do Andrew Scott. Like, it was <laughs> incredible. And I'm like, oh, he's clearly in kids' pajamas, but they're adult-sized, and he's about to get into bed with his parents. Like, this is... And, and I'm like, I'm not flinching at all. Like, it's, like, amazing. So, so like, why, what, is, what, is, what is that? Why does this movie, why does this story need to be told through that lens? Well, as the resident person who, until tonight, didn't think of it as a ghost story, uh, I, I will say the the genre that I, I've I've been dropping it along the way, and this was in in my letterbox review. Uh, I I called this magical realism, um, and uh, you know that's because it has that fantastical element. But I guess I, I always think of magical realism as you know the realism is so important because it, it's like heavily rooted in a literary fiction level of humanity and emotions and character with sprinklings of fantastical things that are happening and so you know that's that's to me what this story is is that sort of whatever door is opened whatever uh you know time or genre or or uh, uh you know spectral component is uh, is happening it you know it's happening get to sort of like give the characters a reason to interact. And it's the fact that like, it's so grounded apart from this like absurd thing that we spent the first, whatever it was, 20 minutes of this episode trying to not say um, of like, yeah, well he's an adult and he's talking to his dead parents, but when they were alive, uh, like that's, uh, that's, that's such a, a high concept and, and, you know, unrealistic thing that, you know, you, it, it, it sort of in a way gives the movie permission 
to like if this were a movie about a man who has come out of the closet going back to talk to his parents that he hasn't talked to who are you know 70 or whatever it would be a little bit like okay like sure like that that's fine uh it's the it's the magic it's the magical mm-hmm. realism of it that i think gives it such an impact yeah i think flashbacks if, if, if it were told in a different way if it were about flashbacks i think you could tell that story and it's about giving adam peace and allowing him to move on but part of the generosity of this movie is making the parents full-fledged characters and it's about giving mom and dad peace too because it's it, like that ending you feel for andrew scott right because of course you feel it for andrew scott because like he was a, he was a kid when he lost his parents but his parents didn't get the opportunity to see his their amazing son grow up which as a parent like that broke my heart too and the fact that they were given the sort of like they were given a moment i i love that they were that they were as as we've alluded to that they were flawed human beings and that those flaws didn't go away just because they'd been dead for many years right that they um that um i i feel like they moved very quickly into like an understanding mode of their of their son which which is good i think i mean i didn't want too much of like rehashing the 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 things that made them um you know somewhat whatever in the in the 80s <laughs> but um but um but it i don't know like I, I think that very practically to 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 do what the film was was trying to do to be as ex- expansively and as generous as it was to its characters it had to be this genre that never that i've never seen before that that never quite that hasn't quite existed this intersection of so many things as you as you said um jen yeah, and just doesn't yeah. have it doesn't have as much emotional impact, right? Because I think just the image of Adam having drinks with his parents who are still young and vibrant and and having it not be and and again, I said this earlier, but having it be a new interaction that's unfolding in real time as opposed to they're not he's not stepping into a memory, right? Like this is not him as a voyeur of his past. Right. It's a new present. And so um, it just happens to be with dead people. <laughs> and like uh, So uh, and like and the fact that first of all, Claire Foy's hair. Ten out of ten. No notes. Uh, yeah. Amazing 80s 80s look is like because it wasn't like a t- over the top perm, but it was very clearly hair from the 80s. Um, Will so note funny. she got a nomination for me for a letters for best supporting actress. I don't think she made it to the broadcast. Because we all sort of had our our overlaps, and then who we put forward, um, and, and I think Andrew Scott was already pipelined to uh, yeah. to to get get far, if not win, in Best Actor. But I I did sort of single her out as, uh, and that's partially because I knew Andrew Scott had already been nominated. But uh, I thought she was particularly incredible, and then yeah, she was really good. has felt a little. I know we'll get to awards watch in a second, but uh, it, it, so she has gotten a nomination here or there, but. Yeah, she needs she needs a little bit more attention for how good this was. Yeah, and I feel like yeah. this has to be a ghost story for all the reasons that you just said, but also because there's not a way to have the the in in particular because I think I feel like we're because we're so enthralled with the storytelling overall that I feel like we're not honing in on the coming out story quite as much as we maybe should be. So let me try to refocus this a little bit. And I feel like the fact that it's a ghost story is necessary for telling this as a coming out story or as a, like a story about what it's like to be gay. Right. Which to be clear, 
I am not. So I'm 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 saying that as an outsider, right? And like you're critiquing this movie, um, you know, which has its limitations, obviously. Um, but it see it it seems like the perfect way to stage these conversations. And I think part of the point is like these, you know, we were saying earlier, these conversations are unrealistic. And part of that is because of cultural attitudes towards gay people, right? Like that, like they can't, that conversations that seem so open and free and rich in this movie are a fantasy because they're not socially acceptable for in, in many places. Right. So even still like, and I like how that's baked in with the Harry character and, the Adam character because they are of kind of different generations. Like they kind of established through their conversations that their attitudes are different, even the language that they use, right? Uh, one uses gay, one uses queer. And then I think Adam is like queer always so- felt sounded weird. Like, like they have, they have very different approaches to their own identities. And, um, and I feel like, again, that, that, that sort of, dialectic doesn't take place and that sort of generational like intergenerational conversation doesn't take place unless it's this movie is like is the way it is well i I think it could but i think that it wouldn't be as engaging i don't know maybe that's like bad to say um i have never watched looking so maybe i'll defer to antonio uh who who is a fan of it but um, you know, I, I, I am aware enough that looking did sort of, you know, get into uh, a, a lot of uh, gay and queer characters, you know, like dealing with modern life and dealing with the relationship scene and, and the dynamics of, uh, of all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there's, you know, there, there was something to, I don't know, there was just something to having these conversations that like, again, it, I, if it weren't, uh, you know, if, if it weren't like this, it, they could do it, but it just, it would feel weird to be like, so like the parents lived for the last 25 years, however long it was from the, from the late eighties until when this is set, which I think is like the late two thousands. And, uh, it's like, you didn't grow at all. You didn't learn anything. So that really helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that like, you know, is a good mirror to what's happening between, um, Adam and, and Harry, but, uh, I keep wanting to call Harry Paul because it's by Paul Mescal. It's not. It, I, I, I have to look every time to like confirm that I'm saying the right name. But uh, but yeah, I I think that uh, the, the the what I thought was really intricate about the the coming out component to it was the the sort of the, the uh, confidence isn't the right word, but like Adam sort of approached it from you know, again, without like doing a unnecessary digging into like, and what is the reality of this conversation? But like, you know, he was just sort of like, things are different now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his mom is like, I don't like, what does that mean? Or like, how does that work? And it's, right. Cause well, she does like, know. Lot yeah. more accepted. And she's like, oh, okay. So like, you're happy and you're having good relationships. And he's like, well, no. Uh, <laughs> so like, I thought that like, yeah. in a way that was like him coming, you know, like sort of facing Mm. the fact that, you know, he was like, Oh, all this time had passed, all had moved on. He has done all of this work or so he thought, but how trapped he was in that house and in that small town or, you know, suburban village. Uh, And, and that like, he hadn't let his heart open up as much because it had been so damaged and, and, you know, uh, wounded so much by the loss of his parents, which of course had nothing to do with the fact that uh, with his sexuality of the fact that he was gay is just a, a, an accident. Um, But, you know, it it all became so intertwined 
uh, for him. And, you know, that, that sort of, you know, like when, when, when Harry points to his chest or like, yeah, I think he, at first he says to himself, like this all got bound up or, uh, you know, however that is, it's like, you know, don't let that happen again. Like that de- devastating. But I think, you know, that is sort of, again, like they can, they can wrestle with the truth of, of all of that. And, you know, again, if it's just like people in a restaurant talking about it, it's just sort of like, eh, I don't know. Right. But if it's like this interesting layer of, of the, the unreal of it all, uh, I think really makes it, you know, I don't know, makes it sing even more. The line um, that you just referenced, I think, is the thesis of the movie, the like everything got tangled up because it's what bring it's what joins the identity part of the story with the loss and grieving part of the story you know what i mean like it's it's a nice way to be like no all of this is connected we're not just telling like this character doesn't have separate storylines like everything is tangled up there's a there was there's a making of um film about um about all of us strangers that i watched um where andrew haig the the director revealed that the film is actually shot in his old childhood home oh wow Um, yeah, so I part of what appealed to him about the story was I think um I think that some of the the things about coming out in particular were 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 things that he resonated with. I mean, he made very clear in the making of documentary that he's like my parents are alive. <laughs> they're not they're not dead. But um but I mean there's so much texture about like that place and uh, and about, and that's so specific to like that time of year like the posters on the wall and it mm-hmm. makes sense now because it's like he was recreating his own like this is his literally the director's like childhood bedroom right this is literally the living room where he had you know like so um so I thought that part of it um just made me appreciate um the film even more and and um and, and it made sense that it that it felt so like specific and so lived in, which I think was I important at, at the realism part of the magical realism. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, sorry, Jen. Yeah, I was gonna say I would include the music in that as well. Cause I yeah. think the one the one behind the scenes scenes thing I had heard was that his his Andrew Hayes' favorite song is the one that's at the end, the the vampires at your door, right? Which mm-hmm. the name PT probably would know this like the name. I don't remember the title of the song. <laughs> it's terrible. Um I should know. It's the power of love by Frankie. Oh, okay, there we go. Because it, it was, I have to admit that I only vaguely knew that song. I never knew the title. I didn't know there was a third Power of Love song after Huey Lewis in the News and Celine Dion. Uh, but you know, now now we have the full trifecta uh, and, and the, the power we possess. But yeah, it, like they do such a good job of transporting us back to sort of the vul- like how vulnerable we are as teenagers, right? Because it's like yeah. you know a lot of a, a lot of teenagers process what's going on or their emotions like through something like music or you know like or yeah like and then there's also like the i feel like the initial conversation between paul uh see now i did it between harry and adam (laughs) thanks a lot sorry um (laughs) that big conversation between harry and adam where they're kind of sharing their their stories coming out stories right um or like what what their relationship with their families are and stuff like that that they talk about the word like like Harry says I don't like the word gay because everybody called everything gay when we were kids like your backpack is gay. you know what I mean like he yeah. the way he contextualizes it from in his childhood I feel like is very powerful mm-hmm. um, and like we yeah, keep having is... moments about that like moments like that throughout the movie of like it all like returning to this the site of your childhood. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's interesting. I'm only realizing this sort of like like you were saying the sort of almost micro generational. I guess maybe that's over or underselling the age difference between uh, uh, Harry and Adam. But you know, Adam is like, oh, queer always sounded like an insult. Like mm-hmm. you know, gay seemed like it was re- at least somewhat respectable. And Harry feels the opposite of you know, gay. So gay was the thing that everything means bad, and and queer is like it's got the the sexual stuff taken out of it, it feels more, uh, more respectable. Uh, can I just say to, pertinent to some of the discussions that we've had and, and points that both of you have made, I, I did, this is the kind of deep research uh, I want to bring to this, which is <laughs> while you were both talking, I clicked on the Wikipedia link for the novel uh, and the plot summary for the novel is very short. May I read it to you? Sure. So you can, you can see what, what the, what the novel story is. The narrator Hideo Harada, a 47-year-old TV scriptwriter, meets a couple who bear an eerie resemblance to his dead parents and forms a friendship with them, visiting them often. As his health declines, he comes to realize that they are ghosts who are sapping his life force. What? Oh, my. What? Not the movie. That's not the movie we watched. (laughs) Uh, I, 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 don't think, or, I don't think it has it? the ending you were looking for, Antonio, that no, gave more well, nuance. Let Harry live. Harry should have lived then. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Harry live. Wow. That's that's taking it to like, you know, talking about genre, that's taking it to like, like fable territory. You're like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's some monkey's pod stuff right there. I'm now... I'm now more than I am mad that Andrew Scott wasn't nominated, I'm now more mad that there wasn't a Best Adapted Screenplay nomination. I know. Because that's so, a crazy adaptation. So I had heard that the adaptation was pretty drastic. Um, so the biggest champion of this movie is actually um, Eric Anderson on Awards Watch. He's always the one sort of advocating for this movie and why is it getting, is it not getting nominated and all that stuff. And he, I think it was from him that I, I had heard that so much of this is completely overhauled to make it more about a coming out story in a way that's really important and kind of important for the LBGTQ community and stuff like that. And, uh, and that, that it should be a feat of adaptation because like the, none of that stuff is in the original novel. So Wikipedia is never wrong. So I assume that that, that is correct. (laughs) Uh, Oh, Now I'm trying to think, like, is that theoretically possible in this movie that that's what's happening? I don't think it is. Um, no. But he does, uh, they do reference oh. that he has a fever many times in the movie or that he feels mm. warm. But that's so, because like, this is uh, he's dying. That's because he's dying. And this is a Jacob's Ladder situation. <laughs> Uh, but that also oh. helped that 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 supports the it's all a dream, right? A fever dream. Um right. Yeah, I, don't so like I shouldn't be bringing that up. Uh, no, but. but full credit to both of you. They're ghosts. According to the book, they are ghosts. So there you go. So there, you know, you win some, you lose some when you look at the book uh, and you win on the ghosts, the ghost category. But I would not have predicted that last part, the life force. No. Like that's also sounds kind of good. Like <laughs> now I want to read the book. Yeah. PT's like, I want the pure. He's like, I want the pure horror version of this movie. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> With the same cast, for the record. <laughs> and then it's like a double feature. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> uh, take that, Grave of the Fireflies and Totoro. Um, okay. So uh, I think we could do Oscars Watch, but not really Oscars Watch, because this is not nominated for oh, any Oscars. Wow. Oscars Lament. Yes, yeah. Oscars Lament. So, I mean, 
what yeah how do you want to do this do you want to do some oscar fairy where we we boot out some people so that this can get some more some nominations do you want to just Uh, say like what you i definitely want to do that but before that i I do that i want to ask you something jen because i ever since the the letter awards i've i felt pretty i felt kind of bad that that um that i i was so adamant about uh, andrew scott for for best actor and you hadn't even seen the movie um so do you feel i so i'm curious now that you've seen it are you are you are you are you okay (laughs) oh yeah yeah, I'm fine okay. with it. Yeah, this uh, okay. I, I I was like I get it. it did it took not 15 minutes for me to be like oh I totally understand why we're yeah, doing no. this because because it, it but I also at the same time kind of understand why it didn't end up getting his performance didn't end up getting nominated for an Oscar because it's mm-hmm. not quite loud enough mm. especially like and Oscar voters notorious for not watching movies or not watching all of the movies or like like right. the movies to completion and I feel like unless you make it to that diner scene yeah it's there's no Oscar reel right it's to the performance is kind of too quiet too subtle um sort of like Greta Lee right like I think yeah. it's a similar lack of flashiness that I think is making the performance suffer in the awards if you think about the fact that you know Oscar voters get screeners and they can log on to a website. Maybe some of the older ones still get discs or or VHSs. I don't know. Uh, and the, and that they like you know it's frequently sort of just like they may only watch ten minutes and be like, yeah, I get it, and then move away. It makes a lot of sense that all due respect to these performers, both Bradley Cooper and Coleman Domingo got nominated for very brassy like showy performances that uh you know will will, would get you excited right away to be kind of like ooh, like this person's really they're doing it they're bringing it here let's let's watch this movie and see what's happening whereas this movie get quiet slow and small um in a way that i think is good but i could very easily see it just be like yeah yeah he's doing his thing like whatever um and folks not not watching it which is unfortunate because yeah i would uh if if we are going to move into oscar fairy i would uh, bounce out either one of those. Uh, w- you know, I would lean towards Bradley Cooper. We ha- we have not and may never will get to a Maestro episode. Um, but you know, all due respect, I think he's an excellent performer. I think he's doing a lot of work, uh, and 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 it's good work uh, in that uh, in that in that movie uh, and in, in his performance and his acting in Maestro. Um, but it doesn't hold a candle to this. And Coleman Domingo is an excellent performer who's doing uh, a lot of fun work in Rustin. But that movie is not particularly good, and there's no, like he's elevating it, but he cannot elevate it that much. And uh, you know, whereas this movie and Andrew Scott's performance are just spiraling together up into the heavens, uh, literally in the end. <laughs> uh, I, I would probably, I, yeah, who those are good good picks. I would probably lean more towards towards Coleman Domingo just because I I I need us to put Bradley Cooper out of his misery. So I still need him to at least be nominated and have a shot at getting an Oscar, which he's probably not going to. So, um, but yeah, that's, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Right. But I love Coleman Domingo in general. So like, I, yeah. that's hard. That's hard for me to say as well. Especially like, Oh, how, like what does Bradley Cooper have? Like eight, even before this nine, year, he had like seven or eight nominations. nominations. Yeah. Like Coleman Domingo, you know, I'd rather he get a nomination yeah. and he can be Academy Award sure. nominated than, you know, in, in all, on all future trailers. Uh, when he's introduced, then you know. Uh, though I agree, I want Bradley Cooper uh, to to win an award just so he can relax and yes. and, and just can enjoy life. Just just be happy. Be be a peaceful <laughs> man. 
Antonio, who do, who who are you swapping out? Uh, I would swap out one of those two. That's a, those are exactly who I'd have: Col- Coleman yeah. or Bradley Cooper for Andrew Scott. And then for supporting actor, I'd boot out <laughs> Robert De Niro or Sterling K. Brown or Robert Downey Jr. To be perfectly honest, for Oof. Paul Mescal and and Jamie Bell. I know. And I'm, I'm coming for you, Oppenheimer. Emily Blunt for Claire Foy. Oh my <laughs> and, gosh! Uh, and and, I, and I'm taking out uh, Oppenheimer for all of the strangers in screenplay. I'm a madman. <laughs> uh, I, I did take out Maestro in picture for you know, uh, for all. I've of been the really strangers. good about your anti Oppenheimer takes. I don't. I'm reaching my limit right now. <laughs> I know. Like, no, fair enough. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Go ahead. So, <laughs> I will say, uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy with uh, with the best supporting actor in the way it turned out. As the show's number one, Robert De Niro should be nominated. Uh, I, I would be okay. I would def- I would strongly consider. I mean, he's him. gotten enough. With yeah. Either Paul Mescal or Jamie Bell, probably Paul Mescal because he's much more important. Yeah. In the movie. Um, yeah. But I mean, he, uh, but yeah, he'd be and bordering, he'd be bordering category fraud and in, in supporting to me. I think I I I know he that realistically that's where he would end up if he got nominated. But I I would I I say he's a co I don't know he's really close to being a co lead with Andrew Scott. Yeah. Now, g- given that I have not seen The Color Purple, so I don't want to boot out Danielle Brooks. Similar to Coleman Domingo, it's like uh, Danielle Brooks is Oscar nominated. That's wonderful. Um, I don't know how I don't, I don't know the performance. I would probably also choose Emily Blunt and Oppenheimer, who I love and had a great time, but was such a small role. And I don't know. Let's give it to Claire Foy. I'm fine with. It. Uh, I, I am not. I am not on board with getting rid of Oppenheimer and adapted screenplay. I think that's yeah. That's going I, too I know. Far. <laughs> I might. I might get rid of Jodie Foster. As much as I love That's her. That's fine. And that, she's good. Yeah, in, she's really good in Nyad, but like, come on. If you're going to make the argument that Coleman Domingo, because Rustin's not that good, shouldn't be no. there, I think you can make the same argument for Joe. Yeah, Foster. that's fair. I, I, yeah. I, I, I agree. And again, in, uh, my, my inclination, uh, my, to uh, hopefully there'll be more Oscar fairy content coming uh, uh, here at the long take review. And I, I will say that, yes, uh, spreading the wealth is coming to my Oscar fairy movements as well. And so, yes, Jodie Foster's perfectly fine with her Academy Award accomplishments. So maybe, yes, Emily Blunt can stay in. So it's like, good for you, Emily Blunt. Uh, sorry, Jodie Foster. I do think you did a great job in Nyad, but let's get Claire Foy in. I, I hate to do it. I think, and Greg will Greg will be mad, uh, but I think I would get rid of American fiction and adapted screenplay. What uh, for all of us strangers? I know, but what? What are we getting rid of? I mean, the category's packed. It's true. Wait, the so category's it's, it's, it's Oppenheimer, Barbie, not, Poor Things, Barbie, and the Zone of things. Interest. Hmm. And I, to me, to me. It, Oppenheimer and Zone of Interest have to be there. Like, that's my take on the screenplays. Uh, Antonio, it's for you to disagree. I'm fine with that. Um, poor Things, I, I again, like, this is why Greg would be mad because he likes American fiction and is is pretty uh, uh, off on, on Poor Things. Um, I think Poor Things is a great adaptation. I think there's a lot of changes and they really did add things. Uh, I, from what little I know about the novel... God forbid if Barbie doesn't gets taken out. I mean, barring the discourse that would ensue, right? Like, yeah. like it's hard to it's well, it's hard to separate those two things. It but is. I could take American um, fiction out too. I I, so, I could see that. And like, I love American fiction, and I love that yeah, screenplay. Yeah. You know, uh, it's possible that I could be talked into you know not taking anything out, but I think right now. 
like I, I would rather leave the supporting categories in place and put the screenplay in, um, which is, you know, it, American fiction is protected in supporting yeah. actor, but then is hurt in screenplay. I don't know. What about um, you, Jen? I'm going to bring in another category. I, I feel like I would have given this a sound nomination. Mm. Sound is so important in this movie because there's so much quiet and which is why I probably wouldn't get nominated, but, like, <laughs> um, but just everything from, cause, cause especially when they're in the apartment building, there's a lot of humming and kind of ambient noise, right? There's the white mm-hmm. noise from that, that um, Harry talks about. And then all of a sudden it stops. And I feel like the rhythms of that are so important to establishing kind of the mood of the movie overall. Yeah. And just like, yeah, that, that, so so that would be my weird like. Oh, it could have been nominated. Well, I, have, I have good news for you, Jen. You know what movie's nominated in that category that you can replace? It's Maestro. Maestro. <laughs> you can just kick Maestro out. We get it. Aww. There's symphonic music. Uh, the Creator, <laughs> Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part One, uh, Oppenheimer, and The Zone of Interest are the other nominees. Right. Okay. Now. So I, I would. I, I'm with you. I would. I like that idea. Not just because I want to kick Maestro out of nominations, uh, but uh, I, I would I would prefer that there, that would absolutely never happen in in the actual process. Um, but if we are if we if we have the wand, we're out, already here. We're yeah, making yeah, changes. Yeah, yeah. Why not? I like it. I like it. Anything else, Antonio? Um, you'd want to change? I think that's it. I, I, I've I've done enough violence to Oppenheimer, and like <laughs> Oppenheimer's fine, right? Like it's gonna it's gonna steamroll probably probably steamroll with the Baptist too, which we we can we can start talking about that because this is where this right. is where um the this movie has a chance to win some awards. It it did I think it was it even though Andrew Scott bafflingly was left off of the the BAFTA ballot, I mean, it still insane. performed pretty well. It still got a lot of nominations. Um, um, more than I think people were expecting, given the precursors. So, um, why do you so think it, it, Andrew Scott missed? Like that's just this is really mind boggling because it's not like they because didn't like it, the movie, right? Like you just said. So, what's the what's the beef? It's also crazy and, and Bafta even has like a jury save system, right? Where right. they can they can if someone doesn't get the votes, they can still keep them in. And so, like I just really don't understand how this happened. There's also six nominees. So that just right, means like it's like less less of an excuse. Uh, the make only thing, the only the only way that it makes sense to me is literally everybody being like, "Of course he's getting in." Like I don't know. Oh. Uh, and then you know, well, I mean, or it being like, I was gonna say it could be that no one watched it, but if, no, it got all nominated in all these yeah. other categories. So just because I'm, I'm looking at it, actor actor leading role in the Baftas: Bradley Cooper, Maestro, Coleman Domingo, Rustin. Paul Giamatti, The Holdovers, Barry Keegan for Saltburn, Killian yeah. Murphy for Oppenheimer, Teo Yu for Past Lives, uh, Common BAFTA W. Oh, it's hard, for, it's hard to uh, argue with Teo that Yu one, nomination. Yeah. All love to Barry. Um, uh, although <laughs> although I was getting a little worried for a little while for about his accent on Masters of the Air, but that's another conversation. That's, that's, for, that's for long TV review. Um, his accent work in Masters of the Year is out of control. Um, <laughs> I, I was starting to be like, oh, "Are we sure he's a good actor? Like, what's happening?" Um, but uh, but no, I'm I, I don't really believe that. Uh, and and he's you know he he really gave his all in in many ways uh, in Saltburn, but you, you you can't you can't do that you can't do that over over Andrew Scott in this movie. I agree. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
But do we think um, it will win any of its BAFTAs? So it's up for casting, supporting actor, supporting supporting actor for Paul Meskel, supporting actress, uh, support uh, and directing. Yeah, directing. Yeah, it doesn't. Oh, it's also up for outstanding British film. I think it. Yeah. Well, but that's up Not, against Poor Things and Zone of Interest. So that, that right, might Poor be Things tough. is probably winning that. I think um, it's Poor Things. Yeah, because I think Oppenheimer takes best film. Poor Things takes best British film, and everyone is like, "Yep, we did it." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. It may be casting this, this thing that I've never thought of before. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, right, right yeah. It could be an interesting window into what could happen because, you know, it's uh, uh, Oppenheimer's not nominated there. So, oh. you know, it, it, that can't be an Oppenheimer role. It's All of Us Strangers, Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, How to Have Sex, a movie that just came out in America, uh, and Killers of the Flower Moon. So... It, like that could bad. be where it gets like, oh, we couldn't vote for Andrew Scott, but we'll vote for the person who cast Andrew Scott. Like maybe that's where it is. And I actually feel like it's like not I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if it won Outstanding British Film just because there was such a dust up that he wasn't nominated and it didn't get right. any Oscar nominations. Um, I don't think it's likely, but I wouldn't be shocked. I think I think you're right. I think Poor Things is the. Heavy favorite. What's the what's Claire Foy's competition in supporting actress? Uh, great question. It is Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple, Sandra Hewler in The Zone of Interest, Rosamund oh. Pike in Saltburn, and Davine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers. Who oh. I've just gotten word has already won. Uh, they've already given it to her. They just emailed me uh, and said uh, Davine Joy Randolph's already won. No, oh. I don't know. But she's won every other award. So she's, I and, she's and I did hear this morning. Oh, this is terrible. I can never remember what I listened to too many podcasts. I don't know which one it was. Um, possibly Little Go Men or Awards Watch. Those are the ones I watched the most, uh, listened to the most recently. But they said she won the London Critics Awards too. So like it's over. Like that even yeah. we even now know British people like her. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and since since we're here, uh, let's do it. Best actor in a supporting role. Uh, Antonio's friend Robert De Niro in Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, Antonio's other friend, Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer. Jacob Elordi for Saltburn. Saltburn over, over, uh, out kicking its coverage here in the Baptist. Uh, Ryan Gosling in Barbie, Paul Mescal, All of Us Strangers, and Dominic Sessa for The Holdovers. So, so it's not like they weren't paying attention. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. Tao Yu and Dominic Sessa, to me, those are good picks. Like, those are good picks to be like, oh, like you were. You were thinking carefully about this, right? So it's just it's just weird that there's such big holes. Uh, anyway, but yeah, who yeah, so who takes that? I guess. I think Robert, Robert, Downey, Robert Downey Jr. Right? I, well, I think this is the issue. Is like I, I the Baptists used to be fun and weird, and I think now they want to be like we want to predict what's going what the Oscars going to be. Last year, right. Banshees of Inisherin won a ton of Baftas, right? Right. So That's I think true. the 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 move predicting move of like when you can pick a British film over a not British film to win, do that. I think that's still true, largely. Yeah. But I think the problem is that Oppenheimer, the big juggernaut, is also a British film. So it's like that's kind of overshadowing something like a Banshee Banshee's Inner Sheeran, which honestly I feel like all of us strangers sort of is like a Banshee's of Inner Sheeran in terms of like sort of the type of movie you know what i mean like the size of the scope of the movie kind mm-hmm. of theatrical yeah well yeah. i i also want to uh, i mean I, I, I want, i'm looking at the record now best film and best director were all quiet on the western front 
Uh, Banshees won both supporting actor and actress for Barry, Barry Keegan uh, and Carrie Condon. Uh, Kate Blanchett won for Tar. Austin Butler won for Elvis. Uh, original screenplay, Banshees over everything everywhere. Adapted screenplay, All Quiet on the Western Front. So just whiffs across the board. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, that felt like the, the British, the BAFTA people just didn't connect with everything everywhere in a way that a lot of organizations in America did. Well, that's my point is like the front that it was the front runner by then. And everyone was like, what does this mean? And the other half of the people were like, calm down. It's just British people being British. So, uh, you know, like, so it it is and something like Killers of the Flower Moon underperformed at BAFTA. That's also you can kind of explain that as like it's a very American story Mm -hmm. and it's not going to appeal to a more British or European audience as much. And so, again, Mm -hmm. I think it's more complicated this year because the big juggernaut, the front runner is Oppenheimer, which is also British. And so that's that's we can't we don't have the elimination process as clearly as we would have in past years with like an American film competing um, in that top spot. So. I don't know. We'll see. Wait, so what do we, is it winning anything? I think we just decided it's not winning anything except maybe casting. Casting. It might win. Okay. Casting. I mean, it might win casting. Paul Meskel. I could see Paul Meskel. Maybe. Um, right. Maybe. I, I saw something saying that like, maybe Jacob Ellerdy. And I was like, please. <laughs> um, well, I feel no. like the salt burn, it depends on like, I think the salt burn yeah. love has kind of faded a little bit, or at least is not as fervent as it was when these nominations came out. So yeah, it's hard to say, but I don't know. And, and Jacob Lordy is also nominated in Rising Star. So if he's going to win anywhere, yeah. I feel like it's probably there. But yeah. That would make sense. yeah. Although, so. shout out to Ayo Edabiri for also being nominated for the Rising yeah. Star Award. <laughs> yeah, Rising Star, a category the Oscars should have. Um, not that I want oscars and bafta have all the same categories but that's a good one i I do feel like the oscars rising star category would be like the grammy's best new artist where it'll be like this this person you've heard of for a decade but the grammy's only just discovered them and you'll be like oh sure they're on their fifth album but that's fine uh so i I, i'm curious how the oscars would would work it out but i i feel like they would screw it up somehow at least or at least it would take a while for them to land on a formula that worked. Who are you putting in Oscars Rising Star? Like if with the American, not as British leaning version of this category. Uh, that's a great question. I Charles mean, Melton. Dominic Sessa. Dominic Sessa, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dominic Sessa, Charles Melton. I mean, I, I do love Io Edaberry as a as a choice there. Yeah. Um, Milo. Um, oh yeah, I mean, gotta get Milo, anatomy in there. Milo and and. Uh, and yeah, messy. Everyone, everyone wins. Everyone wins that way. Yes. Then we sneak uh, messy in there. <laughs> messy, exactly. <laughs> More Snoop content. More Snoop content. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, again, and this would be. I'm. I'm now. You know, backtracking. I'm folding in on myself as part of the problem. But like, I guess I don't know what Teo. Maybe Teo Yu has done like 20 movies oh. in in Korea. Um, and and that would be almost insulting to say right. that he's a rising star. But like, that's. Seems, but that would be a very normal. Oscars move. Yeah. Um. All right. Nice. So, sorry to all of us strangers. We wish you could win more awards. It's sort of the takeaway from this conversation. All of us strangers, none of our awards. Yes. Oh, there we go. Um. Thank you both. I'm so glad we got to talk through this movie. I feel like we talked through a lot. There were a lot of theories flying around, and but I think we we got a good handle on it. PT, if folks want to follow the show. 
or if they want to share their theories and their thoughts about whether or not all these characters are ghosts, is everybody in this movie dead? Where can they do that? Uh, well, they can, uh, as mentioned earlier, they should please uh, subscribe to the show, uh, follow us, rate us, review us. Hey, why not? Uh, wherever you get your, your podcast, uh, you can comment on uh, the Substack where uh, where Jen will be hosting this and, and posting it, thelongtake.substack.com. Uh, you can come and comment on our Instagram and threads pages at the long take review. You can send us an email, thelongtakereview at gmail.com. You can also find us each individually on Letterboxd. My Letterboxd is uh, PT McNiff, P-T-M-C-N-I-F-F. I did review this movie. I think all three of us did. So you can find our reviews, the review of the person that you either agreed with the most or disagreed with the most and add a comment. Uh, and I think we'll all end up seeing it because we're all creepy stalkers who look at each other's pages. My Letterboxd we're- is A-Elefano, A-E-L-E-F-A-N-O. I was gonna make a, a joke that we're we're all ghosts on Letterbox. Yes. <laughs> you can come be haunted by us. Uh, um, you can find me on Letterbox, uh, real or dead, at Qui Gon Jen. Um, and <laughs> that made no sense. Uh, that's how you know I'm tired. Um, and also, you know, are we're trying to tag our reviews with LTR Pod? So that's the other way that you can find our reviews antonio we were wondering if you were actually doing that there was a question about I, i'm not doing not. that I, I will do that now okay. <laughs> i'm so sorry you can go LTR back and edit pod. so yeah ltr pod um and you can also because we want to start establishing a community and getting to know what our movie listeners like to to watch so you can tag your reviews with ltr pod too and and then so we can we can take a look and see all right and you can also find me on Instagram and threads at Subchakchai S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I Thanks everybody Thanks for listening You can follow The Long Take Review on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com Subscribe for free to receive new podcast episodes as well as written reviews of films with Oscar buzz and new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel. Welcome to the Long Take Review, a film po- pot <laughs> film podcast. God, this is not a good way to start. Not a good way to start, everybody. No, it's, it's I, perfect. It's perfect. I could completely start over. Uh, I did this the other day. Do I tripped over a bunch of words? I don't know why. Um, welcome, welcome. <laughs> No, it's good. We need an outtake. We need outtake reels. Yeah, it's true. You can put this at the end. This is the the, the, the little for all (laughs) those people who listen to two and a half hours about all of us. For for Hasib and Greg, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, Okay.